0: Welcome to this edition of Stockhead's Wildcatter Report. Today uh, we're delighted to have Sue Thomas from Fitzroy River Corporation. Now. This is an interesting company because it's basically a royalty company. It's not an operator of projects. It's an investment company and a royalty operator. And Sue Thomas is a director of this company and its largest shareholder. Welcome to the podcast, Sue.
1: Thank you, Peter. Yeah, you're right. Fitzroy is a royalty company. And to understand a royalty company, I guess it's good to have a basic understanding of the royalty model. So most importantly, Fitzroy has no exposure to exploration or capital costs. We've got strong exposure to production rate and commodity prices. The royalties are enduring and attached to permits, despite changing landscape of operators in each basin or tenement. And at the moment, we've got strong cash flow and low corporate cost.
0: So the uh, royalties that Fitzroy has at the moment that are uh, generating revenue come from uh, oil and gas. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: And and where are those uh, producing assets now?
1: So at the moment we've got two royalties on which we receive income. The first is the Weeks royalty which we've just per- purchased 100% of as a result of the acquisition of RoCo. Last year RoCo earned 800,000 from the Weeks royalty and the second asset that we receive income from is the Buru royalty and last year we earned over $300,000 from that royalty. Um, and obviously, we would expect that income to increase in the event that production increases that have been talked about by Buru are implemented.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, uh, Buru, I think uh, late last year, uh, production was down to around 1,000 barrels of oil a day. They've completed a sidetrack well at Ngani 7. And uh, the latest uh, quarterly report said that the uh, production is running at somewhere between 1,400 and 1, 500. So that's a sort of 30 40% increase, and they're looking to do to complete another sidetrack. So uh, as the year goes on, you might see that uh, production rise, and your royalty income from that has the chance of sort of doubling, I guess, on my calculation.
1: That wouldn't be out of the question, but um, it it obviously depends on Ngani 6 and Ngani 7 production. But yeah, the bottom line is we don't spend the money on the development, we are passive. So we receive the income based on what the operator
0: achieves. That's right, you don't have the expiration risk. Um, anyone who finds something is uh, obliged to pay the royalty. Uh, To you and the week's royalty is over the uh, Gippsland Basin joint venture uh, permits that uh, Exxon and BHP are running. Of course, a lot of the uh, gas that's being sold from that basin is on long-term contract, which at prices well below the current market. So there's potential, therefore, increase over time as the gas prices on new sales or new contracts uh, are improving.
1: You're right, Peter. Um, The the week's royalty is um, it's an old royalty. It's been in production for a long time. So there is a question about what is the decline curve on the production. But at the same time, the gas prices that have um, been achieved, and gas is about half the royalty, the gas prices that have been achieved are long-term gas prices, currently about $4.50. And they start to come off this year with a big reduction next year so that they'll be able to go to market for their gas, and you would expect a reasonable increase in the gas prices, not the lofty numbers that were talked about a year ago, because I think there has been some resolution to East Coast gas. Um, but it's still a lot higher than $4.50. Yeah,
0: still uh, we're talking $7 and $8 now as opposed to the 10 Yeah, that's yeah, right. 10 and, that's yeah. right. So uh, that's uh, all in the future. And now um, what are the other uh, investments that that Fitzroy has now?
1: Fitzroy is basically a royalty company and it does have passive investments. Before we go on to the investments, it's probably worth just touching based on some of the other sure. royalties. So We have a royalty over Exploration Permit 371, which used to be owned by Buru and was sold to Mitsubishi by Buru some time ago. Last year, Mitsubishi has sold that permit to a private company and we're expecting increased activity on that permit. Obviously, there's no immediate anticipation of earnings from that, but it's very pleasing to see. Also, um, we have royalties over Reefton, which was an Oceana gold asset, and it has been um, transferred to Tasman Mining. And that there's been a lot of activity on that tenement. Obviously, we can't predict when it would come into production, but one would think two to three years would be a reasonable timeline.
0: Wildcatter um, listeners will probably know, but uh, Reefton is a pre-existing gold mine in the northern part of the South Island of New Zealand and a fairly high grade gold.
1: It's got very high grade gold and there's been a lot of work done over the last year by Tasman Mining. It's, different, it's a different royalty, that royalty for us, because there's an option on ta- the operator, which at this case is Tasman, to purchase the royalty at Decision to Mine. At the moment, that purchase price is about $9 million. It's an indexed number. So either way, that's a valuable asset for us to have in our stable.
0: And just for, uh, for scale, Fitzroy has about 86, just over 86 million shares and at 20 cents a share, that's uh, sort of a market cap of just over 17 million. So um, if that uh, royalty comes through over the next couple of years, that would be a fairly material activity
1: that's right and and the final there's a there's a number of small royalties but the final royalty that's worth mentioning before we go on to the other assets is a royalty over silver mines area now this royalty is a 2% net smelter royalty the first 5 million is at 2% and that's 5 million US and after that it reverts to a 1% net smelter royalty now, there's um, Silver Mines is a public company and there has been a lot of announcements by Silver Mines. There has been a feasibility study produced by Silver Mines and um, there's a lot of interest in that in that mine and um, expectation that maybe that will come on in the next few years as well. Okay, so there's quite a lot happening um,
0: on those royalties. And as we know, uh, Buru in the Canning Basin uh, is looking for a partner to drill in the next dry season, a target which they say is as, as large as 75 million barrels of oil at Raphael. So that uh, could be another particularly uh, interesting moment for Fitzroy on
1: uh, when the drill bit starts to move there. Peter, the very big upside with Fitzroy is the Buru attachment and um, the Buru royalty because, as you know, Ngani is a Dolomite structure and the two big targets for Buru for some time have been other Dolomite structures, one's called Yakamonga and one's called Raphael. I was disappointed that they didn't drill the Dolomite structures last year. It is the downside of royalties that we don't have um, any control over the operator's decision-making. We're passive investors, but we're very hopeful that Buru will find a farming partner and drill at least one of those Dolomite structures this year. And obviously we're hopeful that if that happens that they have a success and any success would translate very positively to to fitzroy because we have a two percent net wellhead royalty over over those areas
0: yeah well that's uh, and of course that the current oil price or recent oil prices around uh 90 australian a barrel and if you look at the wellhead value of that oil uh, just call it 50 dollars. say um, it's roughly about a dollar it works out in, in terms of the royalties that you've been getting somewhere between. Ah, uh, 90 cents and a dollar 10 a barrel depending on the uh, on the oil price on day that's right so uh, that's uh, quite an exciting uh, future and i think uh, buru to their credit i mean they've always as you say uh, outlined these uh, yakamunga and Raphael targets but unfortunately they had joint venture partners who had who were actually you know writing the checks and they preferred to drill something else so it was a bit frustrating i think for buru at the time so hopefully they can get a, a funding partner now that sees the uh, virtue of drilling uh, those uh, dolomite targets.
1: I agree, Peter. Okay.
0: And so uh, I think we might move back to that, but in order to cover the other assets, we we could perhaps talk about your uh, fairly substantial shareholding in Byron Energy.
1: You're right, Peter. We've got some liquid assets within the company. We've got um, about $5.5 million in liquid assets at the current time. Most of that value um, is in Byron shares. Byron's been a very interesting company and we invested when they were raising money a few years ago and I have done very well off the back of that investment. We like the processes that Byron undertakes. Um, they use something called reverse seismic technology. They have made a significant discovery at something they call SM58 and they're currently working on a platform And they say from their most recent announcement, they're they're on schedule for completion and installation of a platform on SM58 in June 2020.
0: All of this in the Gulf of Mexico.
1: And this is in the Gulf of Mexico. Once the platform on SM58 is in place, one would expect that the production increase will cause a re-rating in the stock. But not only have they got new production coming on stream, but they've got a very impressive drilling program coming up. They're well-funded for that drilling program. And those wells are what the management describe as high-conviction wells based on the reverse seismic process that Byron has undertaken very successfully in indent- in identifying targets in the past. So they have a, a high probability of success on those Gulf of Mexico wells. Their estimated probability of success is very high. They call them high-conviction wells and they use a process called reverse seismic technology, which has been explained to me that for all the wells, and there's been a lot of wells drilled in the Gulf of Mexico, with the improvement in seismic, the, uh, they've developed an algorithm which has correctly predicted the result of each well. And they're using that algorithm to select where they're drilling their next target.
0: So they've just started drilling a new well just in the last couple of days, I think.
1: That's right. They've called it the SM71F4 well. And they're saying that will take, they expect that to take 25 days to drill and evaluate. So that will also be a near-term event to watch in that stock.
0: And your, your other assets there, the other investments?
1: So the other um, liquid investment is shares in another royalty company called High Peak Royalties. We've got approximately 700,000 at 10 cents in those shares. And there's two very prospective royalties within their portfolio, which if either of those come to fruition, will be very accretive to that company. One of them is um, they've got a Royalty over Central Petroleum's area, uh, which contains the Ducas well. And people would be aware that um, Santos had to abandon drilling last year because of the overpressure. Um, and obviously, the outlook for Ducas depends on when Santos comes back with a suitable rig. And the advantage of that well is there's infrastructure nearby, so it could could be connected within a few years, two years of discovery.
0: Yeah, and it's frustrating that well, I mean, they, I think they got to about 200 metres from their target zone and just had uh, overpressure that the uh, the equipment there, they were sort of aware because it was sub-salt, the equipment was good, but just not good enough to get down to that, that uh, target zone. And I think it's a target that Santos has described only as multi-trillion cubic feet. So it would be a, a pretty extraordinary discovery if they found one or two TCF of gas there.
1: And you can understand that that would cause a re-rating of that stock as well. And there's another, there, there's some tenements up in the calcium gas area, and one of them's owned by Origin, over which they've got a royalty. And there's evidence that Origin might be doing some work on that area, which is called PL101. So there's a few possibilities there for a re- re-rating of that stock as well.
0: And uh, you've got a, uh, a more passive Was it half a million dollars in a North Sea uh, Atlantic Ocean Coast uh, proposal?
1: So the other asset we've got is we took um, a 500 US investment into a company called Spark, which is unlisted. And Spark has um, an area in the North Sea, which is next door to the hurricane field. And people who followed hurricane will know that They've had an enormous discovery, and they've had um, their production has been going very well. So they're also on the other side. They've got the clear field. so it's a very prospective area. The company is currently looking at finding a farming partner to do some of the work that they would need to prove up their area, and obviously that was an opportunistic investment, which we think has got a lot of upside. Potential with it, uh, but there's a lot of work to be done on that to to know what that upside will look like.
0: It's um, listeners will be interested to remember back to Sunshine Gas, which was one of the early, uh, coal seam gas explorers and developers in out of Queensland. They actually were the original owners of that Hurricane field, and uh, when uh, Sunshine gas was taken over that asset made its way into other hands in the UK and eventually was this massive uh, oil discovery yeah so uh, you're in the right uh, neighborhood in that uh, exploration part of the world
1: so that's that's basically our portfolio but it's a very exciting time because there's activity in a number of our assets each of which could cause a significant re-rate of the stock.
0: So what's the current state of the balance sheet? You've just, as you said, uh, completed the uh, takeover of uh, Royal Co, which you started off with 47% of and you, you bid uh, 24 cents a share for the remaining shares. Uh, you've borrowed some money. The takeover has given you uh, the $3 million that was in the coffers at, at Royal Co. So how does the balance sheet look now?
1: So... Peter, the balance sheet has obviously got the assets we've talked about, um, which includes, as I mentioned, about 5.5 million in liquid investments. We expect that the debt will be about 3.2 at the end of the takeover. We, at the moment, have issued compulsory acquisition notices, so they've still to be paid, but. You know, we expect the balance sheet to have about a three point two million debt at the end once the cash is transferred. That debt is a twelve month facility, so there's no rush to do anything. And as I've mentioned, there's the prospect of the listed to be re-rated, um, and we believe the events that could re-rate those stocks, you know, are near term and will happen within the next twelve months. So we don't have to you know, we're looking at what to do in relation to that debt. But at the moment, we're very comfortable with the debt being there for, you know, the medium short term. And with
0: uh, income of sort of over a million dollars annually, you've got plenty of cash to
1: service that debt in any case. Look, we've got plenty of ability to service it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we could carry some debt in the company anyway. So look, we haven't made any decisions as to what to do in terms of the balance sheet, but there's obviously a lot of options that are open to us.
0: Yeah, okay. So that uh, puts you in a fairly a strong position with uh, a much improved uh, portfolio or much expanded portfolio of royalties, uh, both on uh, petroleum, oil and gas, and now expanding into uh, copper, uh, gold, uh, base metals. So you've got a, a fairly uh, exciting with other people doing all the work for you, you, you don't have to actually put your uh, shareholders' money on the table uh, to make these things happen. All you do is uh, benefit if they make a discovery, and then benefit more when they start to generate uh, cash flow.
1: That's exactly correct, Peter. I I have a big smile about you know we just sit back, but it's it's quite true. We we have a a low, you know it, it's it's an Relatively easy company to manage, and you know, having acquired Royal Coat means we can strip a lot of costs out because we'll only have to we'll only have one company to manage rather than two companies. So a lot of costs will come out as a result of that acquisition.
0: The uh, listener uh, Sue would also be interested in your uh, background. Briefly, you started off as a lawyer based in Sydney and then moved into the uh, financial. services uh, industry before moving into these investment roles.
1: You're right, Peter. I started my life as a lawyer and I set up a fintech company, one of the earlier fintech companies. And after I sold that, I became an investor. And my interest in Fitzroy was that I thought Fitzroy was a very good arbitrage taboo at the time that I bought the shares. Yeah. Uh, Because obviously... Um, a royalty company is worth a percentage of the company that's going to pay at the royalty. And we've had a bit of fun in selling some assets It had some European assets. We sold those and we've used that money to invest, which is the reason we've been able to buy weeks and the reason that, you know, we've got all these other investments that we've talked about on the balance sheet. So it's been it's been a good period.
0: It's worthwhile remembering that, of course, uh, Buru has uh, put out some fairly eye-watering numbers in terms of the prospective gas and oil in the Canning Basin, and they've already uh, proved up in the sort of contingent. Uh, you talked about the EP371. There's been a two or three wells drilled there where they've had gas flow to the surface, and whilst it's fairly remote, I mean, the targets there are for multiple trillion cubic feet of gas. And further to the um, west, closer to uh, the coast, uh, there's there's the Ungani, uh, sort of uh, Uluru, sorry, um, gas and uh, condensate field, which also has significant um, potential for conventional gas. So there's no shortage of exploration targets outside of uh, the sort of Ungani, which is about a 10 million barrel oil field producing, as we said, about 1,500, 1,400 barrels of oil a day. So I think, yeah, there is a lot of leverage to exploration success
1: by uh, Buru and its its partners going forward. I think there's always that leverage. You know, the last five or six years, I don't know, six or seven years maybe has shown us that it's hard country up there. It's very exciting that another company has come in to take over that 371 And it will be very exciting if we see the dolomite structures drilled this year. So fingers crossed. And obviously, I wish those operators all the best because we ride on their coattails.
0: Okay. Well, Sue, thanks for coming in and talking to Wildcatter today. And uh, I think it's going to be an interesting two or three months with drilling both in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, by Byron and also the upcoming uh, dry season in the sort of north of Western Australia, Uh, we're going to see some more activity there on those those oil and gas uh, targets by uh, Buru and its partners. So thanks once again for speaking to us today on the Wildcat Podcast.
1: And thank you, Peter.